This is episode 63 of the Just Get Started podcast, and my guest today is the founder of Chow Mag, Chow Mui. Let's get it started. Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Really excited to have you here for another great episode, and man, I can't believe the summer is just cruising on by. Um, it is hot as can be down here in the Carolinas. This is actually the time I miss you know, New York. Um, I'm from upstate New York, and uh, definitely miss those kind of cool evenings, the 70s, low 80s temperatures during the day with low humidity. Um, so I kind of got the New York state of mind in my mind today because of my guest, Chow Mui, um, who is born and raised in Brooklyn, still lives in New York, and she's exploring all the depths of these great local businesses and, and shops and other things in New York City with her business, Chow Mag. Um, you guys can check her out online, chowmag.com. That's C-I-A-O-O-O. MAG.com. I'll link everything up in the show notes as well. But tremendous individual. Um, I had the chance to meet her and spend some time with her up at the Next Gen Summit um, that I was at a few months ago. And really just kind of um, was impressed with not only her background and some of the experience that she went through, and she shares a lot of that on this episode, but just her willingness to want to learn and expand her knowledge. You know, not one of these people that think they know it all. Like she's just an avid learner. I can tell she's a lifelong learner. And, and that's really cool. Those are the people I love to meet and be around and, you know, kind of talk shop with and stuff like that. So it was really cool to get a chance to know her and, and stay connect with her um, and excited to have her on the podcast and for her to share her journey and just, you know, kind of have these acorns, if you will, that you guys can burrow away and, and use that some of that knowledge that you'll gain from this. Um, really just about getting outside your comfort zone, trying things, taking chances in life. Um, you know, she talks about dropping out of college to try to, quote unquote, make it you know, traveling to Machu Picchu by yourself. So some really cool things that we get into. I mean, I think you guys will absolutely enjoy this interview and, you know, some of the conversation that we have. So without further ado, let's jump into my chat today with Chow Mui. Let's get it started. Chow, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Thanks for having me. Pleasure on this end to have you. Um, excited. I know we met in person, whatever it's been about, you know, four five, six weeks, something like that ago um, at Next Gen yeah. Summit. So um, excited to chat with you a little you know, further about your journey and some of the things that you're doing there with, uh, tell me, I, I want to start actually from the present day about Chow Mag. Uh, tell me how that's been going. I know that kind of just launched more recently, just launched the website. W what's, what's been the hype? Mm -hmm. What's been going on the last little bit? Yeah, it's been, it's been really exciting. We launched on the 21st of June. So right now we're just about about two, three weeks ago. And within our first week, um, one of the articles that we had written about a small mom and pop shop down in Brooklyn um, got 10,000 views, which was like very exciting for us. Cause we were thinking, we were hoping, okay, within the first few weeks that maybe we'd get, you know, maybe 2,000, 3,000 unique visitors. Um, what was really unique about this and really tied into why I started the site in the first place was we shared a story about this mom and pop shop in Brooklyn. Um, they've been around for over 70 years. And what's, what's the big conversation across 
I would say not just in New York, but everywhere across the country is gentrification and, and, and rising rents. So in this one particular neighborhood, it's changed from a predominantly Italian, um, you know, family neighborhood type of neighborhood to just a very diverse uh, young crowd now. So this old school Italian salumeria pork shop, um, you know, they're kind of dying out. These, these old neighborhood shops are dying out. And when I went to visit this shop, I was, it was very refreshing to see like what a neighborhood vibe it was. Um, you know, it's like the, you know, it's a father and son shop. So the father has been there for over 50 years and they've watched kids grow up in the neighborhood and, you know, have been talking to the same families, et cetera, et cetera. So when we were there, it was just constantly people walking in and out and every single person was greeted like family. They would be like, hey, like, if it, and it's, it's like very, you know, like old school Italian. So it's like, hey, Joey, where are you coming from? Where you been, you know? Um, and it was really, really powerful to see that all those views actually came because the, the son, his name is Joe Pork. Um, that's, not his, his, that's not his real last name. It's, it's actually his nickname because it's a pork store. But he shared it on his Facebook and his community um, and and clients all reshared the story so much that we got 10,000 views because of it. So to me, that was really reflective of how essential neighborhood shops um, and you know small business owners like him have such an impact in a neighborhood that they, everyone comes together. And it's like there's this whole conversation of influencers and Instagram influencers and blah blah blah, but we really don't think about the value that small business owners place um, within their communities. Yeah. And I think, you know, that also goes back to, you know, I'm always fascinated with uh, Kevin Kelly and I know he has his, like, he talks about like, I think it's like the thousand super fans or whatever, where you don't need millions and millions of customers, right? If you have those people that really believe in you and, and love what Mm -hmm. you're doing, that that's all you need to support you potentially. So it's kind of a testament to a lot of those smaller. um, And I remember those too. I, you know, I'm, as, as we've talked about before, I'm a New Yorker as well. I'm from upstate though, or I guess central New York. Is yeah. Really, you know, everything's upstate from the city. Um, but everything same thing. The Bronx yeah, exactly. Well, everything, you know, with these really small um, kind of mom and pop quote unquote you know, shops. Um, and that was kind of the lifeblood of a lot of the you know, small towns and stuff. So it's kind of cool that you guys are kind of fishing around in that and, and exposing those stories. What was it behind? Well, wait, can we take a quick step back for 30 seconds? Mm-hmm. Let everyone know what Chow Mag is. What are what are some of the things you guys are trying to accomplish with that? Just so everyone has some context that isn't familiar. Yeah, so I guess I'll start off with the story of how we started, why I started it. Um, I am a Brooklyn knight. I am born and raised in New York City. Uh, grew up on Canal Street. Born and I mean and raised in Brooklyn. So, you know, it was it's always been interesting for me. Have been in the city that everyone, you know, wants to come to and wants to live in. And, and I'm like, this is just, you know, my neighborhood, basically. And what I found was that there, there were two things, two schools of thought. A was that um, there was no website or publication that really showcased the things that I did or would want to do or the shops or the events that were really local or the neighborhoods that are really local. Like we have Time Out Magazine, we have the Gothamist, we have Thrillist, all these amazing sites that really curate events and restaurants and places. But none of them really focus on these, these really small 
hole in the walls, non-flashy, but delicious and really interesting, unique places. So A, I wanted to find a place for that. And B, um, I felt that, I found that it was very hard for so many of my friends to make friends in New York City. For a lot of transplants who move to New York, it's like, how do you make friends? Uh, you know, like, okay, here's, you have three ways, right? It's like, A, you go to the bar, which obviously doesn't always work out. You just end up getting drunk. Um, B, you go online, you go on like meetup or one of those, and they always tend to be like super networky and, you know, maybe not the exact type of people you're looking for. Or C, you, you know, you reach, you cling on to the few, like Facebook or you cling on to the few friends that maybe you knew when you moved in or, or from work. And sometimes it's just very challenging to find your own tribe. So what I wanted to do was create something that felt like the neighborhood that I grew up in, which was I grew up, I'm a stupid kid. I grew up knowing every single one of my neighbors, like walking, I was like Steve Urkel walking into their houses, like for Sunday dinner. I knew the, I knew, you know, I knew Joey at the end of, at the corner store. I knew, I knew um, Charlie who ran the key food in the neighborhood. So I knew everyone and it's such a friendly, lovely neighborhood for me when I was growing up. And I didn't feel that for anyone here. So that's why I started Child Mag. And so Child Mag, after this long story, is um, Child Mag is a, is a neighborhood site about New York City. It's the local guide to, con to conquering the city. It's, um, it's for showing people the most unique places, the, the most unique local places to um, eat, drink, shop, and see in New York. We focus on interesting locals and profiling what they're doing here and at the other end we have we curate fun events for locals to enjoy everything from trivia nights to dumpling tours comedy shows um just fun just just ways to to make friends and enjoy new york city and how do you get like all these different local areas are these things you're just picking out or these are you getting you know people that are sending you message like hey check out this place how, how are those coming on your radar well the main thing is i think the thing that separates us from other places is what we do is we actually find we profile local new yorkers and by local i mean people who live in new york not like they don't they didn't have to have been born here and we have them tell us their favorite places so i think one of the biggest problems with like yelp um you know, is you're doing so much research to find where to go, what to do, who to see, yada, yada, yada. Sometimes I've found whenever I've been traveling, I'd much rather be like, oh, I know, uh, I know Tom, I know, Sa I know Sarah knows all the best places to go in X neighborhood. I'm just going to ask her. Like, this is supposed to be that one resource that like cooler, older friend who knows everything that you could just ask and be like, okay, this is where I should go. This is what I should do. So that's why we focus on a different person and have them tell us their favorite places. Can I can I ask a random question here? Yeah. What's the what's the fascination with dumplings? Because you well, do the dumpling I'm tours. Asian. What's that? Yeah, I'm Asian. What? Yeah. I'm okay. Asian. Yes, I, I know that. But I'm just saying, is that? <laughs> I didn't know there was so. I didn't know until I met you there were so many opportunities to eat dumplings in, in New York City. Oh, okay. Well, here's a fun thing for you is uh, China, New York's Chinatown is the largest in America. Um, it also has the highest concentration of Chinese, 
people out. I think it's the highest highest concentration of Chinese people outside of China. So <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot. I mean, let me. I have just have to check that out again. Let me just highest concentration. Are you fact checking that right now? I am. And outside of China, I'm pretty sure it's New York, but I could be wrong. Oh, I lied. Wait, China? No, no, no. I'm gonna write in North America. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you're pretty close. Let's put it in the top three. I'm. Th- I'm sure it'll be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In New York, it's New York. In. Oh wait. Oh my God. Okay, lie. You, you're just gonna have to cut this part out. <laughs> I may not cut it out. This is more. This is fun banter, okay. actually. <laughs> okay, so San Francisco. Oh wait. Okay, so it's New York. Yeah, New York. Okay, I was right. It it is New York. It is New York. In North America, New York City is home to the largest Chinese American population of any city proper. There's over half a million people, half a million Chinese Americans. So that means that not only is there a huge amount of Chinese, it also means there's a huge amount of different regions of Chinese within this Chinatown. So within this Within the the constraints of Chinatown, there's, um, you know, there's there's Xilongbao, which is Shanghai dumplings. There's your traditional dumplings. There's all sorts of different regions um, that are showcased in this Chinatown. So that's why there's such a variety. What's the? Can you give me? A, I mean, I'm, I'm going to ask just because again, I'm an idiot. Yeah. Um, what's the di- like? Give me a difference between. It's like someone asking again. I'm very fluent in pizza. Um, yeah. Right. It's someone trying to say, well, these taste the same. I said, oh, hold on a second. No, they don't. And here's the. Even though they look similar, there's a lot of differences. Uh-huh. Give me an idea of the differences of dumplings. Okay, so dumplings. So there are. You've got your steamed, your fried, your soup dumplings, right? Uh, soup dumplings are exactly what they are. They have soup within them. And those are traditionally Northern. Dumplings really came about because they actually came out, came out originally as medicine. Um, this, the, one of the top doctors of China actually decided, was that found that there were a lot of people who had frostbitten ears um, in his hometown. So he decided to put together like medicinal herbs, pork, I mean, actually it was mutton at the time, and other, and other vegetables together, wrapped in a pocket, cooked it in hot soup, and served that as medicine. People loved it so much. That's why you have your, that's, and that's how you get your steamed dumplings, or, you know, or sometimes within soup, um, and then fried. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons. I can, I feel like I could go on for days. That's well. That's no, I, that, that, that's already. I already learned a lot just by by that story about the medicine and stuff. And in this podcast, we span a lot of dimensions on topics here. So there's a. You didn't know I was going to ask about dumplings, but there we are. So I know. And <laughs> what I love about dumplings is that there's some sort of incarnation of it for every, for every single culture. You know, like even if you go into Italian, there's ravioli, um, or you Polish pierogies. Like there's. I think, you know, I, I feel like it's a very basic um, and universal type of food because everyone at some point had a meat that they served with some sort of carb surrounding it just because it was, you know, it was a way of making the meat go for longer, right? Like a little bit less meat and fill up a little bit on the, on the, on the carb or in the wrappers or, you know, whatever it is. Um, 
So I think that's something that's really interesting. Like it's something that kind of ties everyone together. Everyone's got some, most cultures have something, some sort of meat wraps pocket. Yeah, that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty neat, at least to go into that. And obviously people can check out maybe your, your website and get more insight or go on the dumpling tours if they're, uh, if they're up there in the city. Um, yeah. So, let me talk, so let's talk, I want to go take a, a big step back in your life and talk through uh-huh. kind of your upbringing a little bit and kind of, cause, cause I found, especially a lot of these folks that I have in this podcast, the, what you're doing today stems from some of the things that probably happened early on in childhood. Um, and as you grew up, things that maybe you appreciate or things that you were involved with. So can you take us back there a little, what, what was childhood like for you? What was kind of adolescence kind of getting up through high school into, into college and stuff? What was that like for you? Sure. Um, well, I grew up, like I said, I grew up in Brooklyn. I was a stoop kid. So my summers were spent playing on the block, throwing the football around. I was definitely like, not a girly girl. You know, I hung out with my brother and all my neighbors. Um, a lot of them were got, were boys. So definitely kind of like a rough and tough, um, tomboy album. And what I think about now, like, it's exactly what you're saying. When you look back, at all the dots you're like wow everything makes sense but when you're in the moment none of it makes sense um but when I was a kid I mean I was the youngest so my parents were working all the time so I was kind of like I was raised by my block essentially like I had two older siblings of course and you know we were all together quite often but you know I was always at my neighbor's houses I was hanging out with not just my friends but their parents quite often so I feel like I grew up very fast I'm very comfortable around other people outside of my family because I was so socialized. I was like, literally, and because in Brooklyn, you know, every single one of your neighbors, we have a saying that in the summertime, um, everyone comes up by and sits on the stoop, which is kind of rare. Like in New York City, no one, people don't even talk to their own neighbors. You know what I mean? You could live in the same apartment building and not even know who lives next door to you. In Brooklyn, where I'm from, it's a little different. Like, you know, everybody. So like in the summer, when you're walking down the street, you'll say hi and stop and chat with like seven neighbors along the way to wherever you're going. So it'll take like an hour to get off the block because you're just like chit chatting with everybody. Um, But I would say that I, I went to school for communications because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And someone told me, you should, well, you talk a lot. So why don't you go get your communications degree? <laughs> um, from there, I went into sales. I knew that I wanted to do something with television production. Um, but I think that the main factor that really led me to where I am now is when I was in college, I went to school in SUNY Albany. So not too far from you upstate. And there wasn't a really big film production program. It was mostly for business and criminal justice. And I, at the time, really wanted to be a filmmaker. So, and I was very emo at the time, like, you know, going through the whole sophomore, like, no one understands me and blah, 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 blah. My boyfriend at the time, he was also going through the same thing. He wanted to be an actor. So we both one night, randomly decided that we were like we were going to drop out of school and drive to California together to become famous doing what I'm not exactly sure but we so literally the next I think two days later we um packed up his car and we took off we drove I had like two hundred dollars 
two or three hundred dollars, I think, maybe even less in my bank account. And I remember he was like a semi-professional poker player. So he really had some, he had some money that we used for um, the trip. But it ended up being a three-month trip. I think with one, I bought a mini DV handheld camcorder from the Albany Student Intelligence Department from um, this guy, Joe Bonilla, who I still keep in touch with. And I filmed the whole trip and it became a documentary of, you know, we drove across 38 states uh, across for three months and we just met and saw America. We met, we met waitresses and friendlies in Idaho. We met old, like poets in, in Santa Barbara. We, oh my gosh, we, we befriended like the homeless teenagers in Colorado. It was like a very like Jack Kerouac beatnik angsty thing to do but you know I felt like from having that experience of a realizing that my life does not have to be have to follow any particular tra trajectory and b just realizing there's so much out there there's so many stories I want to tell there's so much more than what my life is I think because of that I've always just wanted something else and I didn't really know what that was so what happened what happened out in California? You were there for a few months. Like what did do you get any gigs or Oh my god, this is the funniest part. Like we oh, we didn't get any jobs, you know, like <laughs> I remember we were we got there, I applied to film school and then found out that it was gonna be too expensive. And I didn't have my license because I'm from Brooklyn, so I so he drove the whole time. And then when we were looking for jobs, I remember we both applied to like we started applying I mean, we applied to everything. Like we we went from we went door to door from restaurant to restaurant applying for jobs to be like waitresses and waiters. And I had never worked at a restaurant, so I wasn't getting any any jobs. And I just remember this. I remember there was one restaurant we walked into. We talked to the hostess. And we go, oh hey, like here's our resume. Love to apply. We I remember we chatted with her. She was so nice. And she goes, great, I'll take your resume. And I remember she opened the drawer, took our resumes, opened the drawer, and I looked in the drawer. And there's a huge stack of other resumes. And she just put it down and then shut it. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're never going to get a job here. <laughs> yeah, how, was yeah. the, how was the drive back then? Because obviously you were probably felt defeated. Like what was going I'm just more curious. I, I'm so big on the, the psyche and, and mindset of people. What were you going okay. through at that time in your life, like driving back, you know, however many hours that probably was? Um, in days, like what was going through your head? Like, were you like, oh my God, what the hell am I doing with my life? Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, we were. And the funniest part is we had run out of money. I had to ask my, I, I remember I borrowed a thousand dollars from my sister using my credit, my mom's credit card. Um, I, he, I think he had, he had some money too, but there were, there were, I mean, like when I'm saying that we road trip, it was not glamorous. Like we, I remember I had to like, I remember I washed my hair in a truck stop bathroom. <laughs> like, um, but when we came, we were out of money on the way back and we would have to stop at a casino so he could play poker for a few hours to win like one or $200 so we could have enough gas to get to the next spot and sleep out of the car. And like, I mean, we were very dejected. And if I, if I look through, I can find videos of us being like, oh my God. On the way out, there were videos of us we filmed videos of being like, screw Albany, like, forget it, we're going to be famous. And on the way back, we're like, guys, we totally failed. <laughs> we did not make it. 
I mean, what there did was you, a point. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I remember we were trying so hard to break into the film industry, and it's so difficult when you don't know anybody. Um, and I mean, I remember, you know, you know, when there's shoots happening outside, they always put up signs on the, they'll put up signs on the poles of the set street or whatever it is, saying like, hey, like, you know, we're closing off the street for X shoot or whatever the shoot is. And usually they'll have the location scout contact on it. So I remember I, I saw one in Venice Beach and I ended up calling. I was like, we were like, desperate. I was, I was like, at this point, I was like, I was ready to do anything just to get my foot in the door. So I remember calling the number of that location scout and saying like, hey, like, you know, um, you know, we're in college. We just drove here to, you know, try to be filmmakers. Is there any way, can I help you on your shoot? Is there anything that I can do? I just want to learn. And surprisingly, he actually called me back and invited me. He invited us to the set to watch. He said, listen, there's no, we can't give you any way. He said, he said we can't give you any, um, we can't pay you, but you can surely come and watch. And I, I'll never forget this. He said to me, he said, I remember when, I remember when I was your age and other people helped me. So I'm going to help you. And he, he led us onto the shoot and it was a, I forgot his name. It was. The guy from Hootie and the Blowfish, he Darius was like Rocker? a lead singer. Yes, yes, it was a music video for him in Venice Beach. So if you look, if you look it up, I'm sure you can find whatever music video that is. And we got to watch him shoot it, and um, I didn't hear. And then, like you know, obviously he wasn't able to get us a job or anything. But I just remember from that that moment always, like whenever anyone asked me for help, I always try to help them because I remember he was just so kind. Like, I think everyone, like, like, you know, if anyone young ever comes to you for help, you should always help them <laughs> because someone has helped you in the past. Well, that's quite an experience. <laughs> that's yeah, quite an experience the way, there. Yeah, it was just like we, I, I would say this also, you know, what's funny. I, for, I remember feeling so dejected and bummed and, oh God, we failed about it. But when I'm, think when I think about the road trip I never think about that part where we were driving back and feeling like failures I I always remember like all the amazing moments and how great it was and like how much it changed me and and like how even though it was it was I mean come on like it was like 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 to society it was like the worst decision we dropped out in March I was very irresponsible. I had no money. He had, like, we had, like, we did not have much money. We didn't tell our parents or family or anybody. We just left. We didn't tell the school. No, I think he told the school. He emailed the school and um, the school ended up coming to my dorm room when I was gone. And, and they, I remember they had to see, if, they had to ask me, they interviewed my roommates to be, to ask if I was being kidnapped or if I had left on my own accord. <laughs> Like, <laughs> this has got to be a movie. Like, this is phenomenal. <laughs> this is the whole okay. thing. So it's funny. I actually, so we actually had to go back to school. So we left in March, April, May, June. Probably came back in June, right? And uh, June or July-ish, maybe. And we had to go back to school that August. So it was like, that was a real tail between our, between our legs. Coming back to school after telling everyone, Yo, we're gonna be famous. Y'all don't even know. Like, <laughs> oh god, going back think, to school. 
do you yeah. think that and i'm curious now because obviously you're you're out on your own trying to trying to do this thing here which you're doing a phenomenal job at so far but did, were you risk adverse after that for a little while like because yeah. it didn't work out i think it, you know it's, it's like i think how i would describe it is i don't think of it as risk averse i think it was just that i just never felt like i could have anything a traditional life again like i just feel like I don't know. It's for anyone who's ever done a lot of traveling or had some sort of really crazy life experience. You're changed in a way that you can't put your finger on, but when you come back, you just feel different from everybody else. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I don't want it to sound like pretentious or anything like that, but you just feel changed. Like you've seen the world in a way that I don't know. Like just, I just knew that being in a traditional nine to five would never cut it for me. And I have to tell you, I've been the worst employee at every single one of my jobs. <laughs> like, That's a whole other podcast episode we could have, just how to be a better employee then. I you mean, can, if you, you want can... to be, if you want to be a good employee, like I think for me, it always just wanted to be, I don't know, I guess I just always wanted to be a creative and I working in, I worked for sales for, you know, all those years, and it just felt to me like I was putting so much energy in A, something for someone else, and B, like, sometimes there would be ideas where I'd be like, listen, I think I think I can do this. Like, why am I not doing this? Well, and I think that, you know, to your point there, I mean, and I, I remember writing this when we come back from the Next Gen Summit about, you know, it's kind of like the matrix, right? Is like, once you see the other side of it, and once you get that taste, it's very hard to go back. It's very hard to go back to the to the other side, I guess, if you will, to, to kind of get the wool pulled over your eyes, if, if I can say that. Um, so that's fine. Exactly. I mean, you, you kind of opened your eyes to some stuff, and obviously that's that's propelled you um, into what you're doing today. And did I also see, mm-hmm. did you travel overseas, like to a ton of countries as well? Yes, I did. So then, Can you, sh- can you yeah. share that story just a little bit? Because that's pretty cool. I know I had Rita on <laughs> a while back who, who wrote a book of poetry and stuff, and was kind of a, she says, a vagabond and traveling around the world. I, I think that's just really neat, um, you know, to take that leap of faith and kind of go all over the place. Yeah, so it's kind of funny. I feel like I'm, I'm I think I'm going to call it the five-year itch, but um, at 24, I've been work, I had been working some, I had gotten into some really great jobs. I worked in advertising for some really amazing production companies. Um, and representing my job was representing directors for television commercials so it was a very niche but very fun job um, but very stressful as you know with anything involving sales and at 24 i remember i was about to turn 25 and i kind of started feeling this like restlessness that i felt when i was 19 at the same time i was like i i want something i'm not exactly sure what it is I just know that this is not it for me. Like something just felt off. And like, and I remember I was just like, I, I really want to do something that I, that's for me. Like my whole life had always been, um, you know, go to school, you should do this and that and that, blah, blah, blah. So at 24, and I, I also have to say one thing also is like, I was very much a people pleaser. So I kind of felt like there was this point where not only was I at a job where I was like busting my ass and not, a getting the um getting the con- not consequence like i was busting me after a job not getting recognition 
B, I felt like I was giving so much to my friends and like no one was giving that back to me. So it just, and also there's like a relationship at the same time too. So it was just a, a few things where I just felt like I really wanted something for me. So I decided that I really wanted to go um, away for my 25th birthday. I really wanted to go on a vacation and I was supposed to go to Machu Picchu with a girlfriend of mine. And, you know, like two weeks before, not like, like a little bit before she, she was like, oh my God, I, she had just started a new job and she was like, I don't think I can go. So I was like, well, fuck it. I still want to go. So instead of going to Machu I decided to go on a trip by myself. Um, I didn't go to Machu Picchu that time. I went to Nicaragua because it was cheaper. It was like $260 round trip. It was something really stupid, cheap. And so I went to Nicaragua by myself. And that was probably one of the best experiences of my life. I think if there's anything anyone ever does, it should do, it's to go travel by yourself. Um, I just remember sitting there. I'm, I remember I, I took a plane. I just really, all I really wanted to do was like see some volcanoes. So I took a, I mean, the whole trip cost me less than $600. It was really, really cheap um, for like four days. I took a train to, no, so I took a plane, landed in Managua. And of course I'd done my research and I'm, once I get there, it's like a hectic, crazy shit show. There's all these taxi drivers who are trying to fight for you, fight over getting you as a client. Everyone's speaking Spanish and da, 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 da. And I was like, in my head, desperately like, oh God, please remember high school Spanish. Please remember high school Spanish. And I, Six, and I remember my Spanish, I, I wasn't comfortable with Spanish yet this time. So I remember I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to, I can't, I can't personally haggle. So I was just like making these two, all these different taxi drivers, like haggle with each other for my ride somehow. But anyway, I ended up getting in a cab with one of the guys. We had to drive three hours to another ferry stop to take an hour ferry to get to an island called Ometepe where there's a, these two amazing volcanoes on it and I just remember this whole trip was just constantly a the fact that every single decision was my own which is very I don't think we think about how often we rely on other people to make our decisions for us um whether that's like oh should I you know some we I think a lot of times we jump to our friends our peers our family for advice it's like what do you think I should do with, um, you know, how, what should I text this person? How do you think I should handle this? What do you want to get for lunch? So it's, it's very rare for us to just be fully encapsulated within ourselves and let ourselves make decisions. So that was really nice. And B, it was, you know, the whole trip, you know, it's like me by myself. I made friends. I stayed at hostels. I saw volcanoes. I hiked. I climbed. I befriended people who I, I remember a friend at my taxi driver whose name is Guillermo um, and that three-hour drive we went to lunch together he showed me around some towns um, and even though we didn't speak the same language and you know it's me speaking my broken Spanish him speaking some broken English you know it was, it was such a beautiful experience to me that you could really connect and bond with someone else even though you don't even speak the same language or have lived the same life or anything like that. I just, I just thought that was so beautiful. And, and I, when I came back, I felt totally transformed in a, the fact that I had gone through such a challenge of being, you know, 
I think it's like, I don't know how many miles away from home by myself and I survived and I made it. And not only did I survive, I thrived at an amazing time. You know, I felt like that was a little taste of, of, of the road trip again, of the freedom of learning, of being challenged, of being excited every single day. So a few months later, that was September. In March, I left um, and went on another backpacking trip around the world. Um, and where did you start? Where that one start? That started in Colombia. So I did Colombia, Peru, Argentina, um, and then I did Madrid, London, Berlin, Paris, Italy, Amsterdam, Greece. And that whole year I did, and that was like one big trip. And then I also went to Mexico, Puerto Rico. Um, and I did, so I went to Colorado, Florida. And like, it, it was like a few, it was a lot of like travel hacking using credit card points and really cheap flights, staying at hostels. I mean, I stayed at hostels. I mean, I was spending like $9 a night, between nine and like $25 a night at a hostel, eating really cheap, eating street food, staying with friends. Um, I mean, that was also another amazing experience, just, just meeting people, seeing the world, and just really realizing that your life doesn't have to be, if, if you're unhappy with your life, sometimes you just need to get jolted a little bit and seeing something different to realize like you don't have to be in that position if you're not happy with it. Not saying it's well, going to be easy to leave it, but just saying that there is something beyond your life. Well, what you just said there reminded me, and, and maybe you took a page out of this, I'm not sure, but the, the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, you know, he talks mm -hmm. a lot about these mini retirements, right? It's, you know, yeah. you don't have to wait 40 years to, to retire at 65 because most people at that point, you know, they're maybe physically unable or also just mentally not there. Um, yeah. It's go on these mini retirements, go travel a little bit, do things you want to do now. And there's different hacks yeah. you can do to make that a possibility. Um, and as you said, it's not expensive. A lot of people think like you have to take these $15,000 trips somewhere. No, you can actually um, really kind of make it um, cost effective. So yeah. What, what did you, so is there, <laughs> I, I, I'm probably going to fail asking this question properly, but it, obviously you had a lot of takeaways from the trip, but it was there one resounding takeaway from that long trip you took uh, maybe that you still, in, you know, instill in your daily life today, or, or maybe it was two things. I mean, if there was a couple, you can share all of them. Yeah, let me think about this. Um, hmm. There were a few. I guess the first one is, <laughs> this one's super cliche, though. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm going to say it anyway. So I went to Machu Picchu. I went to Peru, and I went by myself. Um and I joined a hike. It's like a five-day hike to Machu Picchu. And you hike through every single sort of terrain. You're hiking through mountains, snow-capped mountains, through, um, you know, like green, green valleys. You're hiking by lagoons. And it's, it's, it's five days of hiking to get to Machu Picchu. No, it's four days of hiking. Um, and I just remember walking through the nature and what, like, I'm from Brooklyn, so, like, you know, for nature for us is, is like, Central Park, or maybe it's, you know, the tree on the block, you know, I had never been in such vast beauty, of like, in such vast nature, just everywhere you look, it's just gorgeous greenery, and these massive mountains, and 
it's one of those things I feel like you read about where people say like you feel like a tiny speck on this planet but in a very comforting way in a very beautiful way that like yeah maybe I'm not maybe I'm not the biggest in the world and maybe the world doesn't revolve around me but I actually love that I'm not I love that the world is this beautiful vast place um and I remember at night we were saying we were like you know you'd get into your tents and and whatnot but I remember everyone was like guys they were like ciao get out get out of your tent you know you're waking up at four o'clock in the morning you're hiking for 10 hours so by the time it's like after dinner maybe seven eight o'clock you're going to bed you're just exhausted and I remember I was like passed out and the friends I had made it's a it's like a group tour it's like with random strangers and from all around the country so I made friends with these people and one of the guys was like ciao you need to get outside right now and I was like why why he's like just get outside so I come outside He's like, just look up right now. And we have headlamps. So I'm walking out. I have my, I had my like wool hiking socks on wearing flip-flops. So, just so, just so I didn't have to put my hiking boots back on. And I walk outside the tent, out from underneath the tarp covering. And I look up and he goes, turn off your headlamp. And I turn off the headlamp and I look up. And I saw the stars all throughout the sky. Like I've never seen them so beautiful this the sky was so bright and lit up from all the stars like thousands and thousands and thousands of stars I'd never seen before and it's because we were on a mountain or I don't know maybe because I could actually see them it felt like the sky was like a foot for my eyes like it just was the most gorgeous breathtaking view of my life and I at that moment I was like yo <laughs> I was like I need to be experiencing this all the time. I need to be experiencing this feeling of feeling so alive all the time or like, or at least just remember this feeling always, you know, like don't, don't ever get too, too comfortable and, and like, or be too miserable in your job or, you know, it was just, I was just, I had just left a point of feeling so unhappy and very, very unhappy and miserable at my last job for so many for so long that it was just such a stark contrast like oh my god I was so unhappy for so long I didn't even know I could feel this way so I just remember that moment well and I think it also you know if you would agree it just puts perspective mm -hmm. in like there are these yeah. massive stars that are as big as our sun out there um and we're just <laughs> yeah. kind of the small the small you know object on this bigger object yeah so I think it kind of puts that in perspective as well. Where you know, it's kind of I think it's Neil deGrasse Tyson always says, you know, he's like every time I walk outside, I always look up, um, always just to remember and, and put it in perspective. Like you know, don't think you're bigger than you are, kind of thing. Um, yeah. and, you know, have that gratitude and stuff like that. So um, that's really neat. Um, did you take any pictures of that, or do you not have any um, from I that? I don't. I'm I sure don't. there's some on Google. I just didn't know you personally if you had any of that. You went back. I know. Yeah, that probably is. That probably is. But, you know, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Like... I'm sure. Um, so let, let's yeah. do a big. Let's do a big transition here. Uh, this is really yeah. cool to kind of understand that that journey. So I I want to understand because one of the things again, a lot of folks that are on this podcast around you know taking that leap of faith for themselves. So obviously, mm -hmm. when you started Childbag, you were with another company, right? You were kind of getting paid a salary, doing that stuff. Can you talk about that transition of, of leaving that, changing, 
kind of taking a chance on yourself and going through with this idea. I just want to understand what you went through. What were some of the internal struggles that you dealt with, um, that self-talk you had, um, and maybe that could help others that are in a similar position. Um, well, okay. I'm going to be very honest with you. I've actually never, I never really talk about this publicly, but I feel like I am that last job. Remember how I told you I was like the worst employee. (laughs) I actually got fired from that job. Um, so your decision got made a little easier. Huh? So I mean, the decision got made, you didn't have to make the decision. They made it for you, I guess. I know. And then I'll tell you this. It was the day, I mean, I kind of sensed it. I knew it. I mean, the thing, you know more than anyone with sales. If you're not hitting your numbers, then it's, you're just not, you're, you're, you're the first to go. And I just had been so stressed for so long at this job. I was 24 and the person who had the job before me, I believe she was, she was either like 29 or 32. So she had a lot more experience. So I think that I, you know, obviously, I, I think I could have done a lot more, um, but I do think that I was a little bit too junior for that role and what they had required of me. Um, I think I just, to be honest, I think I just lacked the confidence at the time. You know, so much of your early 20s are consumed by like, am I doing this right? Shouldn't I know more? Do they like me? Do they hate me? I think my boss hates me. Like, it's, it's, you're just constantly consumed by these questions. And I think that if I had been a little bit more confident in myself and um and sometimes you don't even feel like you're lacking confidence it's the fact that you just don't know how confident you can be i don't know if that makes sense like oh it does um, it makes a lot of sense right i feel like you're like you're not like oh i'm the ugliest person in the world not like that at all it's just you just don't know what you're capable of because you haven't challenged yourself in that way yet but anyway, so this job was it was so stressful. It was constantly like I was like, am I about to get fired? I think my boss hates me. God, I've been like, you know, I'd be working insane hours for sales. You're there from nine to six, emailing, cold emailing, researching, look prospecting, um, trying to get boards and trying to get you know proposals and and scripts in the door, and then from six to ten, eleven, maybe to midnight sometimes. You're taking people out to drinks. You're taking them dinner. You're schmoozing. So it was like constant. It was constantly. And then there'd be times where, you know, I think one thing about sales is like, it takes like, it takes, it's not like you're ever going to get a sale immediately. You have, it takes taps. So it's like six to eight taps before they'll even sometimes even, you know, book, you know, make that transaction. So I'm doing, I'm, I'm like getting very frustrated that I'm, taking these people out, emailing them, having so many conversations with them and still not getting that project in the door or winning that project or getting a project in and, and the company not winning that project. It's very cutthroat in advertising. Um, so, the, so the day that they decided to let me go, I remember the boss from LA flew over and my boss in New York, she called me to the office and I was like, oh, here we go. I know it. And they were so nice <laughs> and I remember they were like just you know or sorry there was there were, there had been some changes happening at the office so a few other people got let go as well and there was just like some controversy but I remember they were like you know we just the numbers aren't there and you know we're doing you're great but there's just so much there's so many changes and I had the biggest smile ever 
I remember feeling just the biggest sense of relief at the time. And when I, I was like, thank you so much for everything. You know, it was very kind. It was very amicable. They were like, if you ever need a review or, I mean, um, whatever, what is it called? Not a review, a recommendation. Like, just, yeah, yeah, reference, whatever, just let us know. And I remember when I walked out of the door, I walked out of the hallway. They, they, I remember they said, if you need, you can take the day and just go home and like, you know, you know, we understand and stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm good. I remember I walked out of that office smiling ear to ear and my um, I remember one of the women who sat next to me Molly she was like oh what are you smiling at I remember she was like what are you so happy about and I, in my head I'm like I'm about to be out like I am gonzo like I am already out the door like because it was something I had been really wanting to do already I've really been wanting to travel since September um, to be gone, and and I don't think I had personally. It's 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 hard to leave. It's, it's like I never tell anyone just quit your job and leave because it's it's very difficult. Your livelihood, right? Um, so I was very happy that the decision was made for me in that point. Um, and at the point, I had some savings. I had about six thousand dollars saved. I was living with my parents, um, and I mean, I was pretty frugal and you know, what I did. I mean, I wasn't that brutal, but I could have saved more, but you know, it's also whatever. Well, it's better than anyway. having two, $200 going to Cali. So that's, that's a, that's a, that's yeah. a start. Yeah, so, so it was a little bit better. <laughs> a little bit better. And I had no debt. Well, actually I had student loans, but I just wasn't caring about it at the time. And yeah, I was 25. I just wanted to, I just wanted more. I just didn't know what it was. I just so, wanted to find my passion. So when you came back from traveling, that is that when did you make the decision to with, with Chow Mag? You know, this actually took. I would say this decision has been four years in the making. You know, I don't think anything is ever like, like I think that spontaneous. You know, college me where I just dropped out of college. That was a one day decision to do that. Um, as you get older, you have so much more that you have to weigh against, right? So twenty five, it took. Obviously, it made the decision to leave and go traveling that took a few weeks but like I've been thinking about it for four or five months already maybe even longer it's before September even without thinking about it and for this when I came back from the trip I I started working again back into advertising and I had been really wanting to tell the stories of all these amazing places that I had been to around the world right I had befriended people in Peru I have I have grandparents, I have Mexican grandparents right now who basically adopted me when I was traveling in Peru and we only speak Spanish to each other. You know, like we have WhatsApp, I've met their whole family. It's, you know, we keep in touch all the time. Um, I really wanted to tell the stories of these, you know, like local people and neighborhoods and experiences there. So I started pitching to all these sites. I started pitching to, you know, like all the, this is 2015, so all the travel sites, there was like everyone was a tra- everyone and their mom was a travel blogger and travel was really big. So I was pitching to all these web- different websites and nobody would, nobody would um, wanted to publish any of my stuff. And I remember they said to me, either the, either the editors would just not respond or they would say to me, this is, look, this seems like a really fun idea, but we, we um, write about we would prefer to have a top 10 of this destination because that's what's going to get us clicks essentially is like what they were saying to me. 
And I just felt that it was a travesty to represent any city or people as a top 10 list because I remember when I came back to New York and I was talking to my friends about my trip, you know, like I worked in advertising, so everyone's um, bit highly educated. We live in New York City. Um, when, and these are the people who are the copywriters, the creative directors. They're the people who can, I don't want to say control, but to an extent, they're the ones who write all the media, the, everything that you're seeing on TV, you know, in terms of branded content, uh, commercials and whatnot. And I told them that I had gone to Columbia by myself. And I was like saying, it was like the most amazing experience. I learned so much and da, da, da. And I remember they were going like, ew, Columbia? Like, are they all drug dealers there? And I just remember being in absolute shock that someone from New York who was very educated, um, who was running the media, could think that. And I thought this to myself. It was, that was a moment that I will never forget. Is I thought in my head, if someone from New York can think that, what does someone from Idaho think? Like, what is someone who maybe isn't, um, doesn't have as many, have such a diverse city or surrounding things? And this is the time when Trump was starting to get elected. Um, so I really, really wanted at that time to be able to do something um, that would help make my world, a little, the world around me, a better place in helping to educate people about what the world is really like, what people are really like. Because when people have a very one-dimensional perspective on anything, whether it be a people, a culture, uh, a, a location, that really breeds ignorance. And at the time, it was a lot of, you know, in, like polarizing rhetoric coming from that election. And... So I really just, I was, I really wanted to do something. So I, I started, I wanted to start a travel magazine about all those neighborhoods and, and those beautiful places and locations around the world that were not these top 10 listicles that dove deeper into the culture and shared what these people are really like. Like how, when I met Guillermo, the, my taxi driver in Nicaragua and share, and kind of share that experience where just because they look different, grew up different and, maybe don't even speak the same language that we can kind of still somewhat be similar um, or, or there's beauty in, in our differences and similarities and what, you know, everything there. And so I tried to make that site and I mean, make that travel magazine, which took, I would say, you know, it was like a year of just creating a deck, like creating a, um, an idea mood board of what it wanted it to be like reading all the different magazines showing it to all my friends, pitching it to people who were like, what is this? You know, it was, it was very, it was very bad. <laughs> it's, you know, and I think the first iteration of anything should be very bad. It will be very bad, but you just have to keep going through it. And I was getting on the, and I had met so many people around the world at this point that I was able to just call up Facebook message, call up my friends that I met and be like, Hey, do you want to write this story or can we feature you or, or, you know, whatever it was. But I was one person and there were times where I'd be like having a conference call with someone at 4 a.m. my time to be 4 p.m. their time in Hong Kong. So it got to be very, very difficult. And um, that was called We Were Wanderers. And there was just at some point, I, I started working out of a co-working space called Voyager. Uh, which is a travel tech startup space. And 
I would say that was another great experience being surrounded by other startup founders and who everyone was way more advanced than I was. I had no idea what the fuck I was doing, but really talking to everyone and kind of learning and seeing what works and what doesn't work, going to all these happy hours and meetups of other founders. And just, you know, when you're talking about the idea, it just, there was some point where I just realized it just wouldn't work and that it was, it was too broad. It was too, the hours, the hours didn't make sense. The stories didn't make sense. I surveyed a bunch of people asked what they wanted out of a travel magazine and that was in 2017 when I realized okay this is this is I don't think this is going to work so I decided I had to start small and start with New York and that's when Child Mag came to be. Oh that's great yeah and I, I really like the niche you know not that New York City is small but you know that niche market of these small um, kind of unknown if you will uh, locations that are phenomenal mm-hmm. obviously check out so that's really cool excited for we, we're gonna have to do a part two here i knew our conversation would go on a variety of tangents so we're gonna have to do like a oh, where are you now monster or something like that get you back on here if that's cool yeah i'm sorry that uh i went so long no 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 that's again the stories are, are awesome and especially some of the experience you had have led you to do what you're doing and i think a lot of people need to have those experiences and have their own and ultimately make some different decisions with their life than just kind of staying in the lane of what society says they should. So I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing some of those. Let's end on this. I always, um, I kind of like to joke around, like imagine if you're a guidance counselor for a day, but like, you know, Mm -hmm. if if you're giving advice to people and all age groups, it doesn't really matter. Is there a piece of advice that you always go by something that was really near and dear that you found. Maybe it's a quote you live by. Anything to kind of end the interview on that's been kind of an impression of you um, throughout your life? I think that this is it. For anyone who wants to start anything or is in the process of starting anything, I always say this. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, and I won't know. All I know is this. Just surround yourself with the right people. Surround yourself with the people who do. Like, you just, if you want to be, you know, if you want to start something with cars, like, and you don't know what you're doing, looking online, reading articles and blah, 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 yeah, that'll help you to an extent, but eventually it becomes a crutch. You have to go out and meet people who are, A, trying to do similar things. Uh, You need to be around people who are motivated. You need to be people who are ambitious and are trying to, who know the ups and downs, who are going through the same thing as you, who are trying to do the same thing, because that is what's going to drive you. You're never, ever going to fully feel invested all the time. There's there's so many highs and lows that you, there's going to be days where you don't want to do it. There's going to be days where you're like, I, this is the worst idea in the world. I, I should give up and quit. But you need to be around people who are going to say, listen, yeah, that's, that's, that's normal, but keep going. Or be around people that, make you so jealous that you just want to, you know, compete with them, whatever it is. But when you're around that network of people and, and you, when you find your tribe, basically, your friends who are trying to do the same thing, who support one another, people you can lean on for advice or mentorship, um, people you are inspired by, that is what's going to drive you because it's going to be them that their networks and relationships are going to be the, they're going to be the ones who say like, oh, you know what, you're looking for a developer, I know a guy who knows a developer or, you know, whatever that is. So even if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know how to get started, just surround yourself by the people who are already doing it or trying to do it. 
That's wonderful advice. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for taking time out to uh, be in the podcast. This was an absolute blast. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, I would love to do a part two or tell you guys more about Chalmag, but. Yeah, we'll yeah, link up everything. That's a long story. Yeah, and I'll yeah. link up everything in the show notes where they can reach out to you and um, and and they could definitely folks that are obviously in New York City or travel there a lot um, absolutely should check out. I've seen some of the stuff on Instagram with some of the different dumpling parties you guys have and those type of things. So it looks pretty neat. Yeah, and check out the site, which uh, finally after many kinks has is live now. So that would be a good one <laughs> for events and and whatnot. Absolutely. Joe, thanks so much for being on. This was awesome. All right. Thanks so much, Brian. Hey, everyone. I hope you got a lot of value out of that episode. And just one more quick thing before you run along on your day. If you haven't been enjoying these interviews and these shows, um, I really appreciate it if you head over to iTunes, give me a rating, leave me a review, let me know how I'm doing. Um, It's the only way I can make this podcast better each and every episode. Um, And connect with me online. Um, at Brian Andreco or at Just Get Started Podcast on Instagram, or check out my website, brianandreco.com. Um, that's where I house the podcast, my blog articles. Um, I even have a now page to update everyone in the last couple months of what's been going on in my life. Um, at worst, it's for my mom so she can keep tabs on me and make sure I'm okay. Um, but I've really enjoyed the feedback so far. This has been phenomenal. Um, what's been accomplished so far with this podcast and all the great guests I've had and really excited for the trajectory going forward. And really, the gratitude goes to you guys for listening, for chiming in, for giving me feedback um, and for keep listening and keep pressing play. Um, obviously, you guys are getting some value out of this. So I'm so grateful for just the opportunity um, to share these messages with you. Um, so I hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.